Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit mosaicclayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. We've been using the secret life of Walter Mitty to help raise this question of do we constantly live in a state of dreams and imagination or are we willing to step out in faith into the dreams and reality that God is calling us to? Um, take a look at the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Um, this is it. This is our last Sunday in this expedition series as we have been examining these common dreams that were expressed through Mosaic's emergent vision process. We've been digging deeper into what these dreams authentically look like. We've been asking this question of whether we are comfortable with now or if we're willing to step out in faith into the great expedition of the dreams that God has for us. And these dreams that we've looked at are quite simple and quite remarkable. The dream of genuine community together. And we looked at what is authentic community? How does that take place? Community is not just taking place on a Sunday morning that we give one hour to our time together here, but community takes place by living life well together. And that means we invest our lives together. That means we interweave our lives together, not in like a cult-like way, but in a very life-giving way. And that means that there's going to be challenges and celebrations, that we are going to break each other's hearts, but yet in those moments, community delves deeper as we extend grace to one another. We looked at the dream of what it means to be a missional community, that as Christ ventured into the neutral spaces of this world, we are called to go into our community to meet the needs around us in creative and impactful ways. We looked at the dream of connecting deeper to God. What does that mean? How do we take personal responsibility for our journey with Christ? How do we grow in Christ each day? How do we as a community help shape each other and form each other to be more like Christ? And then last week we looked at the dream of enhancing our work with our children and our students. And we looked at the challenge that that takes, the expectations that are there the capacity that we have as a community of people not to invest in the future of the church because children and students are the church here and now and we're called to invest in them, invest and help them grow. And so for our final dream, let's look at a very familiar passage because we've read it every single week. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, read this text with me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
I'm sure some of you have thought over the last five weeks, sweet Moses beard. Are we going to read any other text except Acts chapter 2 verse 42? I mean, this guy surely has some other passage that we can preach on. For five weeks in a row, we've been digging into this. I know this might sound crazy, but Mosaic's original core leadership team spent nine months reading this passage together every single week. Craig Lee's sitting on the front row like, yeah, I remember nine months of reading the same thing. I can birth a child quicker than the amount of time we spent reading this text. But what was so important about this text is it, it gave us life. It gave us a new understanding of what the church could be. It opened our eyes to new possibilities. It taught us that at the core of who the church is, well, it's quite simple when you really think about it. We have complicated the church in the 21st century. But at the core of who the church is, what we see in this text is that the church lives life well together. The church grows in their journey with Jesus together. The church worships God together. And the church meets the needs around them together. Acts chapter 2 taught us at the core of who the church is, it's really actually quite complex too. Genuine community, discipleship, worship, and ministry, if done well, are not very easy. The church is challenging. The church is innovative. The church is transformational. The church is growing. And this text teaches us about this radical inclusiveness that the church should have. As we look at this early church, this is a group of people that are all coming from different walks of life, different ethnicities, different journeys, different economic statuses. Some of them were slaves, some of them were free, uh, free, some were male, some were female, yet they all came together to view each other as brother and sister in Christ. And then we come face to face with this beautiful socioeconomic ministry that the early church had. It wasn't just that it was something that they did, but they saw needs around them. And they're literally selling their property and possessions to give to the needs they saw around them. To help the sick, to help the orphan, to help the widow and the poor. This text is challenging and it's inspirational. It's this beautiful thing that we see Jesus transforming lives. And to think they did it all without a steeple, an organ, a baby grand piano, a fellowship hall, a multi-purpose building, an office, and a sanctuary. Wow. The first church met in homes. This is how the movement of Christ grew for the first 300 years. It wasn't until 313 AD, and we've got some images up here, where the church was legitimized by the Roman Empire, where the churches, some of their first buildings were in catacombs that looked like this. This is where they gather for worship. Talk about having no space to drink your coffee on a Sunday morning. But this is where they met. But then when Christianity became the religion of the state of Rome, these great facilities called basilicas were built. And here it was to be a place of worship. It was designed to tell the very story of God. It had very theological proponents to it. The long rows were to represent the long life, the moment of salvation, the continuation of journeying with Jesus. Then in the Middle Age era, the medieval times, we are beginning to construct this thing called cathedrals. From 700 to 1600 AD, these enormous structures were built by the community. What a beautiful story to tell, that we literally built the churches that are 
children and our grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren would come and worship. And the church was designed in such a way that showed the cross, the very image as a reminder of the salvation that we receive from Christ. The Renaissance gave way to the Reformation, which brought this seismic change to the landscape of the church. The church and the state began to separate together as they had been for nearly 1,200 years. And the free church began to build a realistic approach to constructing a church building. From this point, the church history, we began the evolution of churches that look like this. And this next one. Where all of a sudden the church building as it remains today looks so different. And then there is this church called Mosaic that meets in a fitness center. From stained glass windows, stone pillars, steeples, tiled mosaics that dotted the floor to aerobics rooms and punching bags and basketball goals. This wasn't our first choice to meet. We, in fact, were meeting in a photography studio in downtown Clayton, and this wasn't even in our dreams to begin to think about it. Yet, we were here after our first Sunday. We met here for the first time on October the 9th, 2011, and we looked like a bunch of goldfish in a life-size aquarium <laughs> in this large room. But the foundation of our gathering in this space was a desire to be a missional community. We want to be fully present in the greater community around us by breaking down any kind of proverbial or physical walls that the church can oftentimes build up. It's not uncommon for churches in their own space to easily find themselves focusing in on upkeep and themselves. And in addition to sharing and renting space for only the time we needed it, we've used our resources to engage in ministry and discipleship and community outside of the walls of this space. Our church is not defined by Sunday morning worship alone. Rather, we want to be defined by the way that we gather in the community, by the way that we dialogue in each other's homes, by the way we work alongside each other as we try to meet the needs around us, by the way that we try to support each other day in and day out of life. Clayton Fitness is not a traditional space to gather for worship. But if we're honest and we look at the nearly 2,000 years of the church's history, there's never been a common space because it's constantly changing and transforming. When we leave Clayton Fitness on Sunday morning, the church is on the move beyond 1370 Cameron Way. I don't know this space at times can smell like a gym. I know at times you walk into the bathroom and you feel like you're seeing a scene from the Toxic Avenger. I know that there has been endless times, and I've lost count, that we have set up chairs here, 373 times to be exact. But you know, I love this space. Each Sunday I walk through those front pillars, I recall uh, Tim and Tammy and Mary Michael and so many others that were baptized under those front pillars. When I look up at the rafters, I remember a couple months ago where Paul Calton and I spent three hours replacing bulbs only to find out that half of the receptacles didn't even work. And then Paul got this electric burn and I was laughing so hard I nearly fell out of the scissor lift. 
I look back at that basketball goal there, and I remember uh, Alan Pope tearing his ACL as he was trying to block my massive, my massive dunk. I got all rim on that one. And I look around this space, I recall all the wonderful songs led by the worship team, the expressions of worship, the conversations that I've had here. As I walk into the cycling room, I think of how many times our children have been taught about the love of Jesus in a cycling room. And I take joy in the endless missional projects that have been launched out of the entryway that is this space. I recall the best moments in my faith journey in my entire life have taken place over the last seven years that our community has gathered here and gone out into the community. We've grown, we've matured, we've transformed, we've discerned new dreams through this unconventional space. And as the early church matured and transformed, their mission took on new paths and new territories. I'm reminded of this pivotal text in Acts chapter 16, verse 4, that says this, and it's up here on the screen. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew in numbers daily. The context of this passage is so unique because here is Paul coming off a very important decision from the church. You see, Paul had been doing this radical thing like ministering to the Gentiles, and the church didn't really like that. The church was saying, well, you know, you kind of have to circumcise the adult men first in order to, you know, allow them to be members. And all of a sudden, I love that look on your face when everybody, everybody's like, he just dropped the word circumcision. Yeah, I did. I dropped that word. But the context matters because Paul goes before the church council and he's arguing his points saying this is ridiculous we're putting a stumbling block in front of the Gentiles we need to remove this mandate on them and the church said yes and then the church voted and discerned that the best way for Paul and Barnabas to use their resources were they were supposed to go back to all of the churches that they had helped establish to encourage them, to, to give them life. And that's what we read in Acts chapter 16 at the beginning, that Paul and his companions have success. They're doing exactly what the church had discerned for them to do. But then verse 6 happens. It says, Paul and his companion traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them, so they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. A cynic, Frederick Nietzsche, wrote, A casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows that faith does not prove anything. I feel like that's what Paul is having in this moment. He and his companions have done exactly what the church had told him to. These are the very people who walked with Jesus, discerned that this was the best thing that the Spirit of God was calling them to do. Yet they get to this interesting province, this interesting place, and it says the Spirit of God would not let them enter into that place. I've always wondered what did that look like? Was there some sort of like ancient road construction? construction like happening where they're not allowed to go in there? Were there some sort of like unearthing process happening in the moment? Was Gandalf standing there saying, you shall not pass? I don't know what's happening there. We don't know. What we do know is that the Spirit of God would not let them enter into that place. So they head down to the city of Troas. That's a tough place to be in. 
It's a tough place to be in where you think you're doing exactly what God calls you to do, yet when you're trying to do the very thing that God calls you to do, it's not working the way you want it to. That's a frustrating place to be at. I've experienced that. Have you experienced it? What's going to happen? Well, we learn in verse 9 this. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I sometimes have crazy dreams. Usually the craziest dreams I have on the night that I, like one time a year, eat takeout Chinese um, Something about stray cat um, sushi just doesn't do well. I just realized I mixed two like food traditions there together. But could you imagine having a vision of a man in a place that you've never seen before, that you've never been before, and he's calling you to come and help his people? Instead of getting frustrated, instead of quitting, Paul comes to a place of obedience. He was open to receive what it is that God was calling him to do. And Paul's willingness to follow the leadership of God gave him the opportunity to see new things that God was doing. And Paul's obedience to God radically changed changed the kingdom of God. Because Paul's first convert in Europe is a woman named Lydia. And Lydia will be an essential backbone of the church moving forward. She will be a person that gives Paul and his companions hospitality. Shortly afterwards, Paul goes into prison. And while he's in prison, it says this earthquake takes place. And the the prison guard is so distraught, he thinks all the people are going to escape from prison. He's about ready to kill himself. And Paul and his companions cry out to him and say, we're still here. And he leads the man to Christ. Paul leads Aquila and Priscilla to Christ. These two sojourners of Paul will join him in Corinth. They will help him in his work there. They will be his business partner and fund the work he was doing. They will empower the work that God had called him to. Because of the Macedonia vision, the church of Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Galatia, literally a quarter of the gospel letters that we have, all as a result of what? Paul saying yes to what God was calling him to do. Thousands would come to Christ in that first journey. Hundreds of thousands would come as a result of what? Paul saying yes to this new dream that God had called him to. I had a professor in divinity school that always asked the question, so what? So after you work through some key information, after you sparse a paragraph of Greek, after you dissect a new philosophical thought, the question is, so what does this mean for us? You might be thinking, uh, we've gone off by pointing of the success of the early church without a space to call their own. We talked about the success of Mosaic meeting in a fitness center. We see this earth-shifting, spirit-led decision for the church So what does all this mean for us? The fifth dream expressed through our emergent vision process was space and land that aligns with our vision. I'll be the first to admit that the thought of Mosaic having space of our own has scared the bejesus out of me. 
One of my greatest privileges of doing this dual role with CBF is that I get to see the trends of where the church is heading. And one of the harsh realities of the established church is that they are facing aging buildings and shrinking budgets. They built, build, built buildings that served a particular purpose at a particular point in their history, only to find themselves not in that same point in history. As a result, they have a building that is empty six days a week. There's no partnerships in the community. It just stays empty except when they gather for worship. But I've also been afforded the opportunity to see trends of churches being creative and collaborate in ministry through their space, doing things like renting space to local artists and photographers to have photo studios, partnering with homeschool networks, space sharing with other churches, creating collaborative workspace for small businesses to sublease from the church. I've seen churches that transform an old grocery store in sharing part of their building with a local YMCA and part of their building is a coffee shop and the rest of their gathering space for worship is an event space where people can come and rent and do special events there. So last January we started to pull together these dreams and we pulled together this thing called the Space Seekers Team. It's an awesome name. I still laugh at that. Sounds extraterrestrial. And we began to ask several key questions. What are our current space needs? What are our hopes and dreams for our space? What are the needs of the Clayton community and how can Mosaic help meet those needs with our space? What are some alternative usage for potential space? What are our qualifications for space? And the team gathered for nearly nine months and we dreamed and, and on our final meeting we came to the conclusion of this. The first thing is Mosaic needs to get smarter with the way that we use the reserve money given to us. And the second thing is we need to bring this dream right back to our church community. So what, what do we do with all of this? Much to your annoyance, we begin every single conversation in this series with a clip from The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's the story of this man who lives vicariously through his very creative and adventurous imagination. So instead of facing his jerk boss... He imagines himself igniting in this cosmic battle through the streets of New York. Instead of actually talking to the girl of his dreams, he just dreams and daydreams about talking to her. My favorite scene is that Benjamin Button scene from last week that the audio is off. He is ridiculed for having his head in the clouds until he's given the opportunity to go on a real adventure to save his job and to maybe save his company. And he's faced with the choice of slumping back into his imagination or venturing out into a very difficult reality. He chooses to go on an adventure. And all these things lead him to do things that he never imagined before. He finds himself traveling to foreign lands. He jumps out of a helicopter into the storming ocean, even though he was supposed to, if you've seen the movie, jump into the raft, not jump into the water. He finds himself climbing the Himalayan mountains. He finds himself longboarding down the mountains of Iceland. And finally, he finds himself talking to the girl of his dreams. And one of the best lines of the movie that's lifted from the actual short story goes like this. To see the world, things dangerous to come, to see behind walls, draws closer, to find each other and to feel. That is the purpose of life. Walter Mitty finally stepped out of his dreams and to actually live them out into an adventure. 
You see, discovering something new that God has called us to is wholly chaotic. It's wholly chaotic. It's chaotic because you have no idea what it's going to look like. But it's wholly because you know God is calling you to it. And here are the facts of how we need to know them. For nearly seven years, we've been gathering in this space for worship, building community, and growing disciples. This has been our space that we have done real worship, dynamic community, grown disciples, and ministered to our community. This space has cost us $200 a Sunday as we gather in each other's homes and neutral spaces of Clayton and to serve the needs around us. For the nearly eight years of our existence, we have grown organically out of this vision. Relationship by relationship, Mosaic is growing. We are connecting very deeply to the people that we've been called to connect with. People have found the church uh, for whatever reason. The church that they left, they now feel this is a safe space for them to come back to. We've created community here. But what new thing is God doing? What new vision is God calling us to? How will this be expressed day by day? Will this involve this space, Clayton Fitness? Will we continue to be creative and innovative community that thinks outside of the box, ahead of the trends of the established church? If we consider a space of our own, are we brave and daring enough to express the sustainable partnerships that will be required in order for us to do that? What will it cost us financially? But I think a better question, what will it cost us individually and collectively? Are we willing to give our time and our passions and our interests and our resources and our focus to seeing the vision of Mosaic continue to become a reality? Can we continue to be a church without walls? A church that grows outside of the dynamics of a confined space that we live in? Can we learn to be more like Jesus, to meet people where they are for the love of God? Can we be the kind of church that I want to be a part of? Whether or not it's a space that has our name on a deed or a space that we pay someone else to gather in. What new thing is God doing? Let's discover that together.